objective here is not actually to um, lecture as much as it is to discuss because um, there's not really a major point in, in teaching another religion. Um, but what I care more about is how you're affected by another religion um, and how you think and behave and you might not realize um, how much um, this may have affected you. So those of you who are not aware of humanism, um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's basically a philosophy and ideology that centers around um, man. And the point of it is actually, so there used to be um, just an ideology of, of looking at things through the lens of, of humanity, which is not necessarily wrong um, in and of itself, um, but humanism evolved um, over time, and we'll, we'll get to that. So I'm going to give a little bit of talking, but then after that what I was going to do is work your survey responses in to the doctrines of humanism um, to see where we stand. Um, and it was very interesting watching the servers as they came in um, because the trends started in one direction and they changed as it went along. But thank you for filling it out because it ended up being, uh, I think, like 68 or 69 from, uh, from this survey. So before we get into human itself, um, as always, we're going to go through a history of the world <laughs> because it's absolutely pertinent to everything. Um, because I just want us to take a look religiously at, at where things went um, and, and why that happened. So if you're a Christian, then you believe there's a creation. Um, if you're a humanist, you do not. Um, but we do see evidence that the world had a beginning. Um, and so to us, the beginning starts with, with God. So in the beginning, God created the world, and he didn't need to create, um, but he did. And the desire was for relationship. And so what broke the relationship was this concept of, of sin. And sometimes we don't look at sin um, the right way. And when I talk about sin, I'm not talking about, again, this legal scorebook. Um, but if you, if you will, sin is almost some form of self-love, right? Of, of pandering to the self over somebody else or to someone else, whether it's God or a family member or a friend or whoever it is. Um, and so it destroyed the relationship, right? So man got into this disease called sin, and the disease took over the world, and so the world went crazy. So God tries to control out, delete the creation with the flood um, so that it does not totally wipe out humanity, right? In the same way, kind of, if you kind of think about um, uh, Ebola in Africa, if you can kind of imagine the scenario where we reach a point that if we don't do something, if we weren't able to contain it, that the whole world is going to die. Um, if that were to theoretically happen, I wouldn't be shocked, especially at America, um, if they decided to take out Africa for the sake of saving humanity, right? Like I was saying that if we don't do this, then everyone's going to go. So we're going to have to take this out as much as it's a travesty. So this is what happens with the flood. Um, but almost no time after the flood, we see like Noah um, gets wasted. Um, his kids aren't all amazing, right? We have a scene with his three kids, and one of them um, is not uh, very proper in his, uh, his means, if we'll say. 
Um, and then in no time, right, we see that the world has completely gone funky. So God is like, okay, clearly the world does not want to have a relationship with me as a whole. So I will call somebody and make a deal with him. So this is where Abraham comes in. So he pulls Abraham and says, are you willing to have a relationship with me? I want it with the whole world. They don't like it. Are you willing? If you are, then we make this deal with one another. Abraham says, cool, they do it. Um, but even within no time, right, we see Sodom and Gomorrah within like shortly after Abraham's calling, right, is in what kind of state it's in. Um, and actually everywhere he goes. So then we know the story of Abraham against Isaac, against Jacob. They have the 12 tribes. Um, and the 12 tribes end up in Egypt, originally under good conditions. And then within no time, they're slaves. Um, and then God miraculously delivers them. But even then, the people of God are very self-centered, right? Like they're angry with God um, for being in slavery. And then when Moses comes to deliver them, they're angry with Moses for delivering them. Um, like when Moses comes and he starts talking, they go to Pharaoh and they're like, we have nothing to do with that guy. Um, we're, we're happy with everything you're doing for us. Just don't listen to Moses. Um, and then they have these wonderful signs and like the pillar of, of fire by night and the cloud by day. They like have this splitting of the seas and within like 40 days, just because Moses and it's Akhar Shwaif al-Gabal, they're like, you know what, the best thing we could do right now is build a golden cow. Um, so like they're really like not an advanced people um, or very appreciative. Like they're in the here and now, who are we? And what can this God do for us? Um, and if they don't, and then when, when he's miraculously like pulling water out of a rock and sending food, even like miraculous food falling from heaven is not sufficient in their eyes. Um, so we're seeing that humanity as it progresses gets um, more and more self-centered, less and less able to cultivate relationships and more and more inclined to pander, again, to the immediate gratifications and, and needs. And so, because of this, they lost their identity, right? Is that God created us to be something, right? We, we believe that we're created in the image and likeness of God. Um, and that this is what sets man apart from animals, is that we received a spirit, like a human spirit. And so that spirit is made to resemble God himself. So it's supposed to be perfect and holy. So since man was so obsessed with himself, which was the opposite of God, right? Because God was actually not focused on himself. He created when he didn't need to. Um, God gave them the law. And the point of the law was not a random rule book. The law, as is said in the New Testament, was a tutor, right? So the law is like a, a ruler that shows you what the straight line is. It shows you what perfection is. Because they had gone so far astray from their identity that they didn't know what it was like, like to be holy because they forgot. So this law is what points out to them what's right. So perfection is don't take things that aren't yours. Love other people. Love your dad, which is God, and love each other. Um, don't want something that's not yours. If you have lots of stuff, don't consider it to be your stuff. Give the stuff to other people who need stuff. Okay? Even to the point of like, taking care of other people's animals. Um, they were like, if your, if your ox is going, treading with you in the field, don't muzzle his mouth. Let him eat. Um, which are very nice things. But these are the opposite of how most people would behave. Like most people would be like, no, it's mine, don't touch it. Um, right? And we get in fights over property. 
Um, I remember in residence people fighting over like a fork, like it was like World War Three. Um, we're that like we've lost that much of our image. So the law was there, and then he gave them the judges to implement it. Okay, so the judges were there to to speak on behalf of God to resolve issues, so that they could constantly point the people towards this whole concept of relationship and existence. So that was the reason why they were there. But of course, um, and we see this trend over and over and over among human beings, um, they were not happy to not be like everybody else, right? So the reason for having a king was not that God sucked. The reason for having a king was everybody else has a king. Um, and that was literally the reasoning. And so Samuel gets upset, the last judge, and God's like, don't get upset. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And he's like, but let them have a king. Let them be like everybody else, no problem. Um, only keep this deal that we made on the mountain, that they keep the law, um, and then everything's going to be good. Of course, they don't, right? Within no time, we see corruption take hold. Um, when you read through the book of Samuel and Kings, there's a lot of language some people don't understand, but they're doing really weird practices. So like an, an Asherah pole, for example, was some random pagan thing that was set up, and they'd have prostitutes around the pole, where their job was just to prostitute themselves for the sake of this god. They had people who would sacrifice their kids um, to these foreign gods. There's people that had to walk on weird fires and enchant, like say incantations and say do weird stuff. All of this was from their mingling with the cultures that they, um, that they dealt with and sometimes the ones that they had overtaken. Because we know that there are some people that were not uprooted because they were disobedient. There are some people that were living among them. And so they would take on their gods. Um, and so we see the prophets, right? And that's why the prophets are very, very unloved people. Um, and most of them had miserable uh, lives and deaths. So like Isaiah was like cut apart and sent all over the world. Um, Jeremiah was, um, I don't know if he was stoned or what, they, they, they murdered him. Um, but they didn't like prophets because prophets came and told them that what they were doing was wrong. And they didn't like that. And they also wanted everything to go according to their plans. So then Christ says, you know what, this ain't working. Um, so I'm going to come and I'm going to fix it because nobody else can restore the image and likeness other than the image himself. Um, which is why, among one of the many reasons why, Christ, why God himself is incarnate. So we see this restoration and you see a great movement where we see that the early church goes back to the original sense of creation. So when you read the beginning of the book of Acts, they have all things common, they're laying their money at the feet of the apostles, everybody's chill, everybody's cool, there's miracles, and, they're, and they're, they're doing great. And in fact, in spite of persecutions, they're growing. Um, and, and instead of being influenced by the cultures around them, Christianity transformed them. Right, so Roman society was actually a very hedonistic society. Um, and in paganism, a lot of the things that we as Christians view as, as immoral were not only acceptable, but the gods joined in. Um, so like in their stories, like the gods would come down and have orgies and have parties and have crossbreeds of kids and do random things. Um, and that was considered like, okay. But the church didn't end up taking that in. It ended up transforming that whole community which is actually bizarre, 
um, because it's not normal for people to restrict themselves when they've had total liberality, so-called. Um, where suddenly we're saying, no, 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 you shouldn't have slaves, it's not the ideal. No, 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 you can't just do whatever you want. No, you should have only one wife. No, you should wait for this. Like there's a whole bunch of things that would not have been socially acceptable, but they did. What happened is that once we started to love ourselves, the church fell apart. Um, and so when the persecution ended and the whole world became Christian, then instead of focusing on caring for others, on focusing on surviving, on caring for one another, um, it became a little bit more political, um, arguably because of Emperor Constantine. And so what this resulted in was the splits of the church. Um, is that instead of looking for how do we mend wounds, right? How do we sacrifice our wills and come together? It was let's focus on how wrong everyone else is and we define ourselves by who we are not um, as opposed to who we are. Um, there may have been merit in certain aspects. I'm not saying there's no theological aspect that's worth discussing, but it could have been done in more of a spirit of love rather than political. Um, and so we split. And then each went his separate way. And in the middle, before the Middle Dark Age, obviously, is the Arab conquest, um, which sent most churches of the Middle East into, um, what's it called, bear sleep for a long time, hibernation. Um, and so like closed in on itself. And it was, it was self-centered. Um, it was by compulsion, but it became that way. And so we see human beings are starting to move away from, so the West was still very Christian, right? But the East was really just like, how do I, I live? But the world started to forget once more the concept of relationship, right? So like the, what we did in the splits was equivalent to the 12 tribes, each tribe going their separate way, right? Which did happen once, um, which was never supposed to happen. But then we started to see that people started forgetting the point of existing, point of the relationship, and, and messed up started to happen. So in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, there started to be control in the West over people's thoughts, um, over what they profess to be science, what they profess to be knowledge. And so people believe that during this age, um, knowledge was kind of stifled um, overall for humanity, regardless of whether that's 100% accurate is questionable. Um, but we'll go with it for the sake of history. Um, mind you, the Muslims in the East actually were flourishing um, during this time. The Muslims actually during this period were advancing in mathematics and science and in many things. The Renaissance comes in the 15th century and suddenly thought starts to come, to come out. And this begins to cause a bit of a problem. But what I wanna again focus on is that we've stopped talking about God. Right? We stopped talking about community, we stopped talking about the importance of church because the, the people just started going in their own direction of how do I get to advance as a society, which is not necessarily intrinsically wrong. It's simply a change in focus. Um, during this period, we're aware that, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm, whenever I speak to another denomination, I'm not being sarcastic um, for the record, um, but they are criticized for being overbearing of their own views on specific things during this period, um, and that there was um, 
a stifling of, of freedom of thought. So then comes the Enlightenment, um, where people began to care more about reason um, as they progressed. And actually, um, Descartes is one of, Rene Descartes is one of the most famous for this, who was a devout Christian, actually. Um, so it wasn't like it was seen as an anti-Christian thing, but the focus became less on the mystical, less on the community, less on this because people were starting to be repulsed by the system um, and more on the intellect. And so man got smarter as a natural consequence of using the mind, right? So then we have the industrial revolution where suddenly people are like, wow, we can do amazing things now. And it came about really, 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 really quickly. So people got really excited. Suddenly we're creating lots of stuff. world is progressing. Um, and then Christianity started to become reduced to governance, right? How to behave, period. It was no longer spoken much about how to have a relationship. It was a list of, of rules, whereas like Christians don't do X, Y, and Z, period. Um, and that was all that there was to it. And you see all these arguments between churches and states where they felt that church was trying to overstep its boundaries, whether it was the Church of England or the Church of Rome or wherever it was. Um, so it was perfect timing for Darwin um, to come about where he accidentally, it's not like he was planning it, um, discovers the Galapagos Islands and him and his dude come up with the theory of evolution um, and it causes scandal because to them it was like, wait a minute, if you're saying that there's a possible way that we naturally became man in any other way than spontaneous creation, then you must be an atheist. Um, and so he was persecuted um, and there was major division. But what it introduced was, not introduced, what it really heightened was this conflict between reason and religion, um, between people and God and how we perceive religion um, and how much it should be permitted to control societies. So this was a big deal. We got into it a little bit, um, and then we got distracted because then we had the era of wars, right? So like 1899 is like the, the Boer War, 1914, World War I, right? And then you've got your Roaring Twenties, so people like got drunk for a decade, and then the Depression hit, right? And then the whole world collapsed, World War II, and we're, we were distracted. Once we were done war, we decided that we'd make love, not war. And we had the sexual revolution, right? Which we can thank California for, because um, I think the AP movement started here. Um, but I could be wrong. Or it was, it was taken from some concepts from, from England, right? Where it was just this complete revolution against anybody who tries to tell you what to do by anybody who's against nature, right? The argument is this is natural, right? The herb is natural, so there's nothing wrong with weed. Um, all of these things are just things that are of the earth. We are of the earth. We all evolved. What's your problem, man? Um, and the words of one movie that I saw, it was like, have sex, be free, we're the class of 73. Um, we're that like, far out like, uh, mentality. And so then we decided that we, we, we self-labeled ourselves the post-enlightenment, which is a little bit cocky, um, and where we are beyond um, just enlightenment, we're, we're, we're just, we're post that. Um, and so we have, 
modernism and pluralism and relativism and all this stuff starts to come about, which is like, how do we accommodate to our modern world when every world is a modern one? Um, there's no such thing as living in an unmodern world um, because you're always living now. But then we had pluralism, which began how do we have different views um, while living within uh, the same communities? And then relativism, which we'll discuss later as the daughter of humanism, as a concept of um, everybody's right in their own way, um, or what's right to me might not be right to you, so why don't we all get along? Uh, we're not the IT generation anymore. This, like, I had done this slide like a decade ago um, with my sister. Um, but um, the IT generation has come and went. Uh, we're in the social media age, right, where now um, it's like, let's talk nonstop and pretend we're in community when we're really not. Um, and like, nobody can survive being somewhere without like, constantly doing this, um, even when they're on a date. Um, they're sitting there in front of each other. There's some dude put up a YouTube video that was great where he just went around videotaping people. Um, and even like an engaged couple is literally sitting there and it's like, when do you like talk to each other um, or anybody? But in this fake community, right, we've actually become focused more on, even more and more on the self. And so again, contrast <laughs> the Garden of Eden and like the flood days, okay, where there's this concept of God, there's this concept of holiness to like now where it's like God yeah that's cool if you like it right like but um, just don't talk about him please um, it's a complete like switch up of, of where things went and these are really good transitions um, okay so in the in this evolution okay is this focus on humanity right Particularly Darwin um, uh, influenced things because evolution became a cornerstone to this idea that there is something more than God. Um, because we're going to talk about evolution, but this is partially why the church responded so strongly against it. And so people started to come about, especially the, 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 the brains of society, saying there is nothing else. Um, in fact, the slogan on the humanist websites is good without God. Um, like that's, that's like their, their slogan on, on every splash page of theirs. Um, and so what I want to get at in this is that when we're talking about humanism, um, we're, we're actually talking about a religion. Um, it's, it's not just a philosophy. They have a creed. Actually, they, they revised it twice. Um, so their creed came out in 33. Um, which was written up by a bunch of the greatest minds of that time, um, and among them former pastors, um, former Harvard scholars, people who had won Nobel Prizes, um, and they got together and said, no, we need to get beyond this concept of praying and this God stuff um, to an understanding that this is it, this is all we are, um, and Humanity must realize its own destiny, and the only way for it to do that is to reject anything that tries to control the mind, anything that tries to control the people, um, anybody that is trying to guilt anybody into anything. This is where they're coming from, which sounded very lucrative in the backdrop of the times that they were living in. Um, because they would point out that the church fought such and such ideas, and the church has always said as a whole, um, and that the church did yada, yada, yada. 
um, and what has prayer done for you lately, um, etc. And we're going to get into some of those. So Linus Pauling, for example, I don't know if you, most of you have studied, I think this is in high school science, right? He's the one who like discovered the orbitals and started quantum theory, right? Um, he was one of the original uh, signatures on this. Um, Isaac Asimov, who's very famous, he's a physicist and a sci-fi author. Um, Watson, Watson and Crick, the original uh, discoverers of DNA. Um, all of these people are people who signed the manifestos, um, one or the other. The 73 one is interesting because it was written outside of war, um, right after, I don't, know if, I don't know when you guys went to Vietnam, you guys were on your own there. Um, but I, was, what year was Vietnam? Okay, that's why. Um, because the, the, the tone of it is saying we're just coming out of war. Um, I didn't know which one. Um, so that would make sense for that one. Um, where it was very kind of contradictory for me to see because for believing that the best of humanity was going to come out of humanity after Vietnam or any war um, to me is, a, is really like contradictory. Um, but what they wanted to do was start establishing for those that they teach, which are a lot of people because we're talking about professors, scientists, um, musicians, people from every walk of life, and they, again, they got really big names to come and help with this, um, to start influencing the people, to start to acknowledge and accept that there is nothing more than this. That's it. Like, focus on just being a quote-unquote good human being um, for the betterment of society. And so this is important because it's, it's an agenda. It's not... Um, just another belief. It is, it is a religion. It is a belief and there's an agenda that has its own form of indoctrination, which I'm not saying is wrong that they have their own form, but we do need to acknowledge that it is one. Um, and so they got to work. So I'm going to go through, I'm not going to lecture as much here. I want us to discuss some stuff. Um, and so if you guys are awkwardly silent, I will be awkwardly silent back. Um, so. I'm going to start off by what your views were on how harmless it is. We're going to go through some of their doctrines specifically because in their manifestos they go through with what they believe um, to see how influenced or not influenced that we are um, by it. So first of all, is it harmless? Survey says um, roughly, roughly half and half. So 46% of you agree that even though society is trending towards atheistic trends, that you, that you don't see it as a danger because of um, your faith. So almost half of you believe that it's, it's not a big deal. Um, slightly, slightly more than half believe that it is um, a problem even though you have faith in God. So George Simpson, our Harvard paleontologist, says, Man stands alone in the universe, and they work some of these quotes into their manifestos. That's why I'm, I'm pulling this. So almost every quote I have is from their, the humanist um, organization's major website. I think it's like AmericanHumanist.org or something like that. Um, so man stands alone in the universe, a unique product of a long, unconscious, and personal material process with unique understanding and potentialities. These he owes to no one but himself, and it is to himself that he is responsible. He is not the creature of uncontrollable and undeterminable forces, but, it is, but is his own master. 
he can and must decide and manage his own destiny. We must now be prepared to abandon the God hypothesis and its corollaries like divine revelation or unchanging truths and to change over from a supernatural to a naturalistic view of human destiny. So what are these two doctrines saying? What is their point here? Okay. Right. Very good. Okay. Um, in fact, he calls it like the supernatural deity is, is the God hypothesis. Um, and so, what do you think he's trying to get at when he says from a supernatural to a naturalistic view of human destiny? Right, but when he says naturalistic, as opposed to supernaturalistic, what what would you understand to be the the underlying driving force to him being able to make a statement like that? What would be a supernaturalistic way of existence versus a naturalistic? Sorry. Yes, right? So this is where the origins of this creation versus evolution came from, right? Which we can get to later of why the church reacted so strongly is because of language like this where it's being posed as polar opposites, right? Like it's, it's bound to get a reaction. Um, but let's even consider evolution here. And George Simpson here is saying he's not the creature of uncontrollable and undeterminable forces, but is his own master. This one I think is interesting just because in evolution um, you are a creature of uncontrollable and undeterminable forces. <laughs> like that, that's kind of an underlying thing for it. Um, so like it's interesting to see even the contradiction like within it is that it, it is there. But it's very dramatic language, right, that's used to basically say there is no God um, and that we should abandon the God hypothesis. All right, so for the God hypothesis. Um, to wait on divine intervention is unreasonable. We ought to rely on our intellects more if we want to advance as a people. Um, true was eight out of 67 people, a little over 10%. Um, false, 71%, and not sure, 16. So roughly a third don't know or believe that we should not wait on divine intervention. So, I'm not asking whoever said true to like reveal themselves, um, but how about people do explain where it's coming from? Because a lot of the questions were ambiguous on purpose because I was trying to get your whole persona um, out of it. But what do you think of even this question? To wait on divine intervention, is unreasonable. We ought to rely on our intellects more if we want to advance as a people. Because that's what the God hypothesis is about, right? Is saying stop waiting on this supernaturalistic way of life, okay? And focus on the human intellect. What is wrong with, with that? Mm-hmm.
Okay. Do you have your hand up? Okay, I have your hand up. Mm -hmm. I agree, they don't, right? So like they're trying to say like, forget that, you've made nice verses to support your thing, okay? But that's just your hypothesis. You need to use your brain. So what's the issue with that? Because the questions were framed in a particular way. Because this, this gets taught in school now. Like this is not... Um, like a, a random question, like this is being said by TAs, it's being said by grade school teachers now to our kids. So what would you think if your kid came and asked you that, your Sunday school kid or someone you serve, what would you be thinking? So, I'm I'm not seeing the connection to this one. Right, but I guess what they would answer to that from their view is yes, it was just a naturalistic thing. It was unfortunate for you, but it was a natural event that some car took you out. Um, and so misfortune is natural, is I guess what they would say. So it'll, it'll manifest in itself in different forms. So what is that? Are these the answers you would give your your kids if they came in. Your grade nine comes in saying my fellow teacher told me this. I'm not saying that they're wrong, but like, do you think from what was said right now, would your kid walk away like, oh sweet, I got it? So. What does it mean to wait on divine intervention? Does waiting on divine intervention mean that we don't exercise, as you guys said, free will or intellect? 
And does having a human intellect answer the question as to whether or not there is a God? So what we need to do sometimes is that you have to pay attention to the philosophy that's being presented to you. Like the whole point of this talk is to point out to you a level of thought that's there that you're not paying attention to, right? Because the way that things are, are presented, it's a misleading question, right? They've presented a dichotomy that doesn't actually exist, right? The question presupposes that these two are like mutually independent of one another and that there, there can only be one or the other, right? There's also a presupposition in it that the God hypo hypothesis, quote unquote, is already resolved. So they're beginning with a statement that there already is not, and then you only have these two choices. But on what basis do you make that decision? Right? The question should be, is there or is there not a God? Okay, that's not a resolved question. So like, that, this is, again, this is an agenda. This is a group of people who, in their view, have resolved that there is not one. Right? But keep in mind that this is a curriculum. Right? So like, this is being taught. So there's a presupposition that no, there is not, based on whatever kind of scientific enlightenment that we have, and we'll get to evolution specifically after. Um, but um, why does it have to be one or the other? Um, and if you don't understand what free will is from a Christian perspective, you won't know how to answer that. And the issue is that many Christians don't know what free will is or how to use it, which is reflected very strongly in how we talk about God's will. Where like you don't get into some college and oh, it wasn't God's will, or I didn't do on an exam it wasn't God's will. Maybe you didn't study. Um, maybe it had nothing to do with God actually, um, and maybe you weren't the most qualified for this job. Somebody else was. Um, so and then do we want God to override other people's free will? So are we saying because I'm a Christian I want God to not allow these other qualified people, maybe more qualified than me, to get a job because I like him. Um, because that's what you're praying for, okay? So maybe God didn't do that because he also kind of cares about the other people too. Um, but if we don't have an understanding of it, and if we don't read deeper to the question, and you're forced to just answer this on the spot defensively, then you might spew out nonsense, which is what a lot of people do um, from both camps, okay? Is just say a lot of meaningless stuff that sounds intelligible. But there's a dichotomy here that should not be there because it's not actually a proper question um, and it almost leaves out that so many of the people who use their intellect to advance society were religious people they were not majority atheists this is a new thing where the majority now um, and I don't even know if it's a majority actually but that's the apparent um, in, in terms of noise okay but it was actually religious people because as much as people hate on the Catholics um, for harboring and pushing away the intellect, it was the Catholic monks that were preserving knowledge, um, and it was them who actually like they led the the game on on genetics, morality. Okay, so the first one was the God hypothesis. Now we're dealing with the humanist view on morality. So um, this is like a ridiculously long essay. I took four paragraphs by um, some dude who's their spokesman on their website. Um, where the person says, Prometheus stands out. Um, so they're, they were already in the morality section. So Prometheus stands out because he was admired by ancient Greeks as the one who defied Zeus. 
He stole the fire of the gods and brought it down to earth. For this he was punished. And yet he continued his defiance amid his tortures. This is one source of the humanist challenge to authority. The next time we see a truly heroic Promethean character in mythology, it is Lucifer and John Milton's Paradise Lost. But now he's the devil. He is evil. Whoever would defy God must be wickedness personified. That seems to be a given of traditional religion. But the ancient Greeks didn't agree. To them, Zeus, for all his power, could still be mistaken. Imagine how shocked a friend of mine was when I told her my view of God's moral standards. I said, if there were, if there were such a God, and these were indeed his ideal moral principles, I would be tolerant. After all, God is entitled to his own opinions. Only a humanist is inclined to speak this way. Only a humanist can suggest that even if there be a God, it's okay to disagree with him, her, or it. In Plato's Euthyphro, Socrates shows that God is not necessarily the source of good, or even good himself. Socrates asks if something is good because God ordains it, or if God ordains it because it is already good. Yet, since the time of the ancient Greeks, no mainstream religion has permitted such questioning of God's will, or made a hero out of a disobedient character. It is humanists who claim this tradition. What do you think of this? Or someone summarize the argument first. What, what is the person saying about morality? Right, that is relative. And what else? What are they valuing here? Right against authority, that's very, like, it's emphatically said, like, it's not like a, an under-the-cover thing. Um, the humanist challenge to authority. Um, what, is the, what is the tone of this? What does it presuppose? Like, what are its underlying um, presuppositions? Basically, no one has the authority to assert any kind of moral um, absolutes, right? What do you guys think of that assertion? Well, actually, I can show you what you thought of it. I forgot, sorry. It is arrogant for us to try to judge the conduct of other people. We should try to adopt an attitude of tolerance towards practices of cultures and other faiths. Majority of you agree with the humanists. So, um, 60% agree that it, it, it is arrogant to try and assert an absolute morality. Um, and 38% of you believe that it is not, and 1.5% of you weren't sure. The word 
arrogant go for it No, it was a misleading on purpose because they're misleading when they present it to you. Because the question is, is it arrogant to try to judge the conduct of other people? Is it arrogant to judge the conduct of other people? Is it? But the question is, is it arrogant to judge the conduct of other people? What do laws do? Judge what? <laughs> so apparently it's a society we believe in it. Otherwise we can have laws. Okay, there's a big difference in, in judging a human being for having a particular conduct and a completely different thing to judge the conduct because and we're gonna see where the confusion comes out because when this was first coming out there was almost no false this is almost all true like the first day of the of the thing and I was disturbed because there's another question where like you guys contradict yourself completely um, where you unanimously said the opposite of what you said here um, so, because, again, it's, it's a misleading thing, right? Is to make it sound like you're arrogant for thinking that, but they themselves are mad at you for having a view. Like, so it's not even like they're tolerant in their view of you. They are outrightly expressing that you are incorrect to have any view. And then you are led to believe that you should be tolerant of everybody else having a view. So it's like, have any view you want as long as it's the same as mine. That is what the message is, okay? But like, again, this is slipping in, and so that's why like, even when we talk to our youth, right? And it's like, yeah, that's true to you. Um, and it's like, thanks, Tips, like we're, we're in the same church. Um, but, right, at the same time, we have to go back to originally, is, is there a moral absolute yes or no, like John was saying, okay? Obviously, I'm not saying that we have to hold the whole world accountable to that, because even God in the Old Testament didn't do that. Right? He did not say, okay, since I gave you guys the law, now I want you guys to go out to Syria and like yell at them for like messing up. Right? He's like, no, you have the law, you apply it. Just don't do what the other nations are doing. Right? So he was tolerant, um, and he allowed everybody to completely like exist. So we should try to adapt an attitude of tolerance. Tolerance not towards a behavior being right or wrong, but in terms of how we interact with the world. Um, I just think tolerance is often confused now for acceptance, um, but if we believe that it is arrogant to judge the conduct of other people, 
then what, what is right and what is wrong? And who gets to decide? So they're mad at Zeus for having a law and like, ha ha ha, we defy you. But what is the alternative? On what basis does society get to decide a good? What makes a good thing good, I guess is my question for you guys. Like remove, like reject the God hypothesis um, and, and answer the question of what makes good good. Is there an answer? So I'm not talking right now about, about preaching to them, right? I'm trying to highlight the impact that humanism has had on us um, without realizing it, not for going there. But we do also need to understand, right? Because if we remove a, a, a supernatural being from the picture, right, what they call the God hypothesis, on what basis do you decide that a good thing is a good thing? Um, One of the questions that one culture doesn't um, think that, right? What, what makes Hitler a terrible person? Well, he didn't, like, he called the, like, Jews not innocent people. He didn't, he put them as substitutes. What's wrong so with that's that? that's how he justified it. Right, but what's wrong with that? Well, I mean, well, I'm saying inside, like, <laughs> No, no, I want, I want to take it further. What's wrong with that? Why, why is it wrong that he said that? It's his view. That's what Hitler is trying to do. So what's wrong with that? Why do we collectively agree Hitler is a terrible person? If there's an, abs if there's an absence of absolute uh, authority, then it becomes a authority. People only act in, in, in their own interests. Right. Benefit them. So can you call that good? You can't. Well, you could if, if, if there was an absolute, if there was an absence of an absolute, But it's still a relativistic good. Right. What I mean is that good is is not permanent, right? So, so there's no such thing as calling something actually good. You can call it useful, helpful, beneficial, profitable, right? You can you can use any of those things, and they would be possibly true. But that does not make them a good or bad thing. It would be good in, in, in as much as it wouldn't destroy or society. Right, which has no value. So, like, I can see the usefulness of that. Like, I'm not shooting down anything you're saying, right? But my point is that on what basis do they get to decide 
a morality because there's no such thing. So if them and their group have voted on it, right, they themselves don't all agree. Like the hippies had a different view of the human good than Isaac Asimov has, right? And so on what basis can we say this is the right one, this is not the right one? Because if we look at Hitler, for example, what he did is not much different than natural evolutionary history, right? If we are going to reduce, which is what they're saying, they're saying reduce yourself to be an animal like everything else. So the animals was survival of the fittest. So Hitler said, here's a race that I think is inferior, um, and I want this race to dominate. And if we're the stronger, we will survive, and if, we, if they are the weaker, they will go. We wouldn't be upset about that on an animal level. We just think, oh, that sucks for the lemur, right? Like, and then we move on and nobody cries over it, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a done deal. But there's contradictions we're trying to get at, but it's, it's presented as this so obvious thing, right? That like, you're so dumb to think that there's a moral absolute. And it's like, well, you're so dumb to think that there's morality. Um, because if there, if there is no absolute, then what do you decide is moral? Um, but we collectively vote on random things and we do have laws. So clearly as a society, we do have a concept of right or wrong, right? And as we're seeing now, even that's changing. Like incest is already being fought for in a couple of courts right now in the States and in Australia. Um, on what basis do you tell them they're wrong? It's two consenting human beings. If they're above age, we say it's disgusting, they say it's love. Love is love, right? That's been like the cliche line for the last decade. Um, so we've got to kind of, again, open your mind to take a step beyond what these things are actually saying. Because this is a philosophy that's turning into a religion um, and being shoved down the throat. It is a double standard. On ethics, um, which we probably won't discuss to death because we kind of did most of it here. Um, we affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous, situational, needing no theological or ideological sanction. Ethics stem from human need and interest, which is what we were just talking about. To deny this, this is a very dramatic statement, to deny this distorts the whole basis of life. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. Happiness and the creative realization of human needs and desires individually and in shared enjoyment are continuous themes of humanism. We strive for the good life, here and now. The goal is to pursue life's enrichment despite debasing forces of vulgarization, commercialization, bureaucratization, and dehumanization. Reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that humankind possess. There is no substitute, neither faith nor passion suffices in itself. The controlled use of scientific methods which have transformed the natural and social sciences since the Renaissance must be extended further in the solution of human problems. Absolute truth belongs to only one class of humans, the class of absolute fools. What think is thou? Do you see any contradictions on this slide? <laughs> it's so obvious. <laughs> we affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous and situational, needing no theological or ideological sa sanction. Ethics stem from human need and interest. To deny this distorts the whole basis of life. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. Happiness and the creative realization of human needs and desires individually and in shared enjoyment are continuous themes of humanism. We strive for the good life here and now. 
The goal is to pursue life's enrichment despite debasing forces of vulgarization, commercialization, bureaucratization, and dehumanization. Reason and intelligence are the most effective instruments that humankind possesses. There is no substitute, neither faith nor passion suffices in itself. The controlled use of scientific methods which have transformed the natural and social sciences since the Renaissance must be extended further in the solution of human problems. So it says the absolute truth belongs to one class of humans, the class of absolute fools. Um, I had many questions about this. For example, what is vulgarization? What is commercialization? What is bureaucratization? And who decided that they were bad? What if that was in the interest of society? right? And who defined vulgar? Vulgar is a relativistic term. What somebody finds acceptable is completely acceptable to another person. So on what basis can we say we're saving humanity from these things, which is just happens to be the collective view of whoever wrote the manifesto? Like it's, again, it's, and it's, it's, it's got a lot of the same language of things that they accuse Christians of doing, right? Like they're, they're doing a lot of the negatives that they, they accuse Christians um, of doing. There's another major, major danger in here. Well, think about this sentence here. The controlled use of scientific methods which have transformed the natural and social sciences since the Renaissance must be extended further in the solution of human problems. What is this the seed of? Forget the religion part for a second, I agree. And what are they specifically doing with science? And is that right? It leaves room for it. 
But what do you think about it saying it's transformed the natural and social sciences since the Renaissance, the controlled use of scientific methods? Because this is a danger, like this is, this, we're seeing the fruits of this in the curricula today, and people are not paying attention. What this is doing is setting the stage for changing science from science into ideology. They're two different things, okay? Science as a science has no moral value. Like, those of us that come from a scientific background, science is supposed to be dealing with facts. We make observations. So it is not a scientific statement to say, because I have observed evolution, there is no God. The scientific statement is, we have observed evolution. But it is not, therefore, there is no God. That second half is not the realm of science. We've now gone into philosophical, ideological, theological, a whole other realm for debate. That is not the job of the scientist. The scientist's job is to experiment, theorize, test these theories, collect data, present information, period. But a scientist's job is not to attach meaning to these things beyond the scope of what is factual and what is scientific. So there might be a natural next step for another human being who's interpreting the science of what it means to him or her personally, but it is another thing to use the science to teach an ideology, which is what we've done, is that we've taken, and this is how the devil works, take a reality and distort it. Take something that's right and just add this extra step that isn't to confuse or, or to denigrate something else. Um, because we have no issues with science. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with us progressing in science. It's another thing to say we are going to do this because science is um, doing all these things that they said. So, um, in terms of absolute um, fools, um, originally almost everybody said um, true um, on the first day, that there are no moral truths. That holds. So in our last discussion, we talked about, are, is there an absolute morality? And the majority originally said, no, there is not, uh, which worried me a little bit um, as Christians. Um, but the majority, but a third, either disagree that there is such thing as a moral truth, um, or don't know. That's a high number still. Um, so, at least majority-wise, we, we do disagree with um, Ashley Montague from Princeton. Um, but we do believe, okay, in an absolute morality because we do believe in the absolute existence of a God um, and that we were created in the image and likeness of God. So even if we don't judge other human beings, it does not mean that we do not believe that there's a right answer or a wrong answer. I will give leeway to those who said true because I know that there might be things that are situational in terms of what is the right way to conduct yourself in a, in a specific situation. Um, so the way that is worded could have led to that as well. Um, not in terms of something being right or wrong, but in terms of um, like lesser things. For example, like if I have an ego, should I serve versus someone who doesn't? And so there was, there was a moral absolute, but there's a different solution to a problem kind of thing. All right, this one's courtesy of Canada since I didn't want to hate just on the Americans. Um, in cultures such as ours, religion is very often an alien form of life to intellectuals. Living as we do in a post-enlightenment era, so deep, it is difficult for us to take religion seriously. 
the very concept seems fantastic to us, that people in our age can believe that they have had a personal encounter with God, that they could believe that they've experienced conversion through a mystical experience of God, so they are born again in the Holy Spirit, is something that attests to human irrationality and a lack of sense of reality. This is on the humanist website too. It's a really happy website. Um, Julian Huxley, I use the word humanist to mean someone who believes that man is just as much a natural phenomenon as an animal or plant, that his body, mind, and soul were not supernaturally created but are products of evolution, and that he is not under the control or guidance of any supernatural being or beings, but has to rely on himself and his own powers. So what is the, the very clear message here? What is the presupposition that's clearly being said over and over and over? Right. N not just irrational. <laughs> it's a lack of sense of reality, apparently, um, and that it's impossible for us to have had. What would have been a better question from Kai Nielsen, if we want to be really scientific about it? And he would say about as well. But. <laughs> yes. Or, or, or do you have one, right? So this is, this is the issue and this is what I, I'm seeing a lot, especially when we talk to a lot of people who are struggling with, with doubt, is that there are very few people who ask good questions. Um, a lot of the time we're focused on the wrong question. So um, the analogy that I like in, when I was in, incidentally, Canada, um, a few months ago there was a, an attack at Parliament Building, um, and which for Canadians is, is rare. And so there was a, bun, there was a, a lone shooter that went in, he sh took some shots and he was shot down. And the, the witnesses that were on the radio it was just interesting to listen because this, this shooter was shot down, he was killed and, and like they did all that jazz but in the, in the people that were witnesses are like, I remember it as clear as day, there was like three gunshots and then silence um, and then everyone started screaming and blah 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 and then another person's like, I remember it, there was like at least seven gunshots and then it went quiet and yada 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 and then another person said four and another person said two another person was like, I don't even remember, um, I was just so scared I was under a table. Right? But then, if we were as an outsider, like what I was thinking when I'm listening to this thing is, if I were to say because they disagreed on the number of gunshots, this guy was not shot down, or that because they disagreed on the number of gunshots, it must mean that there was no shooting, like there was no attack on parliament, they made it all up, I would be irrational. Right? Because there's other factors going on. It's the wrong question to ask. Why do they hear different gunshots? If that is your focus, you're focused completely on the wrong question. The real question is, was there shooting, yes or no, what really happened? What happened? Forget that everybody is saying a different thing. Get to the real question. So rather than be dismissive, right, we sometimes have to ask the more important question, right? So here, rather than being like, I didn't have an experience of God, therefore you are clearly irrational and you lack a sense of reality, right, then there should be a question of, why did I not? Um, or how do I? Or did you really? Those are more important questions. 
Um, and then you can build something off of that from your own experience, okay? But this comes in with this presupposition that it is fake. But when things are said very loudly and confidently, it usually affects people, right? Where it just comes in, it's like, okay, well, since we're beyond this whole God stuff, are you all okay that there's no fluff stuff, there's no pixie dust? Okay, let's move on, right? That's how these things are typically like presented, where it's like, well, maybe I believe in pixie dust. Um, go for it. Precisely. And that's exactly. Go ahead. Sorry. That's pseudoscience, right? And that's what people don't understand: is that pop science isn't real science. Right, pop science is, is literally just a bunch of random stuff said with cliche lines when exactly what you're saying is true. Any real scientist is cognizant of how much we don't know. Right? Like like the, the num um, the more one studies, the more one recognizes how little we really know um, and how mind boggling other things um, are. But um, here the focus is on there's no God and that evolution is. Um, so originally, actually, nobody said true, um, which, which I found su surprising, but in a good way, actually, um, because I was expecting that the majority, or almost all, were going to say, sorry, I thought the majority were going to say um, true. So this is good because it means that many people have considered this. My job is not a priest to tell you you should believe in evolution or not believe in evolution. Um, that's a scientific question, not a religious one. Um, but what's being done here is being presented to people, again, that you have to choose between evolution or creation to be somewhere on the spectrum. And I think this is probably why the church so violently reacted at the beginning, especially in the West, the Protestant churches, and we kind of came in late on the discussion. Right, so all we heard was what monkeys like no God, no, we don't believe in this. Um, but it was coming from somewhere, right? Like it was coming from a very clear agenda that if you believe in this, you cannot believe in in a God. So evolution isn't a religious question. So it's not the job of the church for us to tell them whether you need to believe in this or you need to believe in this, because it does not exclude God. So use a scientific thing and figure out what's, um, what's logical or not. You'd be very surprised when you look at the thought of the early Christian when it comes to um, our stances on these things. The early fathers were like, stop trying to be literal, you can't. Um, they were like, Augustine, blessed Augustine made big mistakes in that when he first started interpreting Genesis, he was very literal. He was like, no, it must mean one, two, three, four, five. Um, and then by the end of his life, stuff had happened in his own lifetime that disproved it. And so he has his backtracking where he says, you know what, nobody should try and be dogmatic um, about the interpretation of Genesis because we simply don't know. Um, and science might prove us wrong. He actually said that. So we need to adopt the same mentality. I used to be very much against it. Now I'm not, personally. Um, and spoke to our, our bishop about it who also thinks it's, it's not irrational or wrong. Like they're, they're not incompatible with one another. Um, we could also find out for 100 years from now that we're all wrong, 
Um, so, and they're going to think that we're dumb. So like there's going to be, like just like when you look at what happened with atomic theory, right, when it first came out, only like one part of it was true. The rest of it was absolute garbage. But if we didn't get to that point, we wouldn't have had this burst of knowledge 30 years later where it was totally transformed, right? So we have to be careful not to create dichotomies that are not real dichotomies um, because many people struggle with faith because they think that this is a question that they must answer when they don't. So some people, I just want to get into where it's influenced us more than we song, eh? Um, this is where the humanist agenda started getting put into culture. Like, I just want you to realize this, there is an agenda. How many of you have actually paid attention to the lyrics of this? It's, it's, it's a disturbing song, right? <laughs> um, where it's like, imagine, like, there's no heaven, like, it's just the sky, below is just, you know, um, and uh, nothing to kill or die for, no religion, and you've got all these hippies swaying their hands, right? And I don't think it was an accident. Um, there was one American Idol uh, dude um, who was uh, a Mormon, I think. And the judges chose for him to sing this song. So I'm like, I don't think that was an accident, that the song that they chose was the one that was the anti-God song, right? Is that these things are creeping in there. And if you think that this is just us overreading into things, these are all from the American Humanist website, where they said, list your top 10 favorite humanist songs. Um, so us old timers remember ecstasy, um, dear God. And these descriptions are theirs, I didn't write these. Uh, More on the atheist end of the spectrum is a song about the evil in the world done in the name of God. The lyrics address God directly. Um, the hurt I see helps to compound, and anything in quotes are lyrics from the songs. Um, did you make mankind after we made you, right? So these are like, you've got to remember that when we're singing songs that we're not inventing an agenda. A song has an agenda, that's the point of a song, right? Is that we create art to express an idea. It's not to hide an idea, it's to express it. Um, so we're not falsely attributing things to them and being really mean. Um, the hurt I see helps to compound that Father, Son, and the Ghost is just somebody's unholy hoax. Um, Belief by John Mayer. How many of us don't like John Mayer and his amazing guitar skills? Um, but can we easily distinguish everything he says? So in his song of Belief, what puts a hundred thousand children in the sand? What puts the folded flag inside his mother's hand? Um, well, it's religion and belief. Um, because adherence to dogma will weigh you down with the heaviest sword. Dave Matthews Band. Um, who I used to like some of their music. Um, um, this line was one that struck me the most. Hoping to God on high is like clinging to straws while drowning. So my question from that is, personal faith doesn't matter. The important thing is to be a good person, show compassion and love to everyone. Um, I'm glad that the majority said false because no, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. You, you are in a war that you're not even recognizing. Um, it's not about just be nice. I'm not saying be mean, right? But you need to wake up. Um, 
And personal faith matters very much because your personal faith is being challenged in everything around you, um, in your culture, like in your music, um, everything. I didn't have a label for this. Um, <laughs> when I became convinced that the universe is natural, that all the ghosts and gods are missed, they're entered into my brain, into my soul, into every drop of my blood, the sense, the feeling, the joy of freedom. The walls of my prison crumbled and fell. The dungeon was flooded with light, and all the bolts and bars and manacles became dust. I was no longer a servant, a serf, or a slave. There was for me no master in all the wide world, not even in the infinite space. I was free, free to think, to express my thoughts free, to live my own ideal, free to live for myself and those I loved, free to use all my faculties, all my sentence, free to spread imagination's wings, free to investigate, to guess and dream and hope, free to judge and determine for myself. I was free. I stood erect and fearlessly, joyously faced all the world. This is Civil War veteran Robert Ingersoll. And what the humanists wrote underneath that was, could I get an atheist hallelujah? Um, we believe, however, that traditional or dogmatic or authoritarian religions that place revelation, God, ritual or creed above human needs and experience do a disservice to the human species. Um, to point out to something that I ignored on the other one because being repeated here is this assertion that we are just animals, which is contradictory because they don't treat us like just animals. But that's another point we'll talk about after, maybe. Any account of nature should pass the tests of scientific evidence. In our judgment, the dogmas and myths of traditional religion do not do so. We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of the supernatural, etc. Um, we're not going to debate that there's lots of issues with that. But the question at the beginning was, do you see this as a danger? And I'm posing it again. I hope more than half of you see this as problematic. Um, because this is not just a, a thought that's random. This is built into the system. Okay, this is not something that we can take lightly, and especially in our services, we need to understand that this is the backdrop of the reality of those we serve and ourselves. Like, because you're affected by it, which we've seen some of the answers that we're going to discuss, but so are they. So some people might ask, can I be a religious humanist? Can I be somebody who believes in God, but also believes that man should control his destiny? The answer is, they don't want you. Um, humanism cannot in any fair sense of the word apply to one who still believes in God as the source and creator of the universe. Christian humanism would be possible only for those who are willing to admit that they are atheistic humanists. It surely does not apply to God-intoxicated believers. So the answer is no, you cannot, even if you want to, because they don't like you. Um, but, so what do they want? Um, I'm going to summarize what he said. I thought this was a very honest thing of Huxley to say. Um, he's the author of Brave New World, for those of you who haven't um, read it, it's a very famous piece. Um, but he has very anti-biblical principles. Um, and here I like that he admit an agenda to that. He said that he was anti-biblical predominantly because he did not like its moral inhibitions, because he wanted to have sexual freedom. That's what he said directly. Um, so he admit to his agenda. Not everybody is willing to admit to an agenda, so um, a hat's off to him. But again, this is not new. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. I'm just going to look at two more slides you guys said, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up. I'm sorry it took so long. Um, Humanism is not new. The fool has said in his heart there is no God um, from the Psalms. The reason I'm using this verse is not to call everybody a fool, but just to simply say that if David is writing about people who say there's no God, it means that the concept of saying there's no God is not new. right? He got it from somewhere. Um, so a lot of the times when we think that someone's really novel, that's actually what drives me nuts about our, our young people is they think they're, they're 
like they've discovered like the mysteries of the depths of like humanity um, when it's like probably from like the last season of Glee um, but there are tons of verses against humanistic um, ideals um, we won't get into it but again why do we care because it does affect you um, which we saw in the survey right there was not like unanimity on stuff and sometimes the answer was like majority wrong um, it affects our culture it affects our teachers teachers of your children it affects your where your TAs are saying um, it affects you in every way and you have possibly never paid attention um, to this agenda so and this is where I can see that you're affected by it um, because these are the the daughter thoughts of, of this relativism is the daughter child of, of humanism right is that that's their prime force evolution and relativism um, is that this isn't to say that one comment is right or wrong but it's this general wishy-washiness of like yeah yeah like why don't we just hold hands right imagine um, the, the Beatles song or the what's his face John Lennon song um, is, is that it's just like no man just hold hands get along doesn't matter religion no religion like it's cool um, you know what it's so good that we can talk about it but it's like it's, it's contradictory um, this is a priest from the Unitarian Church um, humanism teaches us that is immoral to wait for God to act for us we must act to stop the wars and crimes of brutality I won't rediscuss this because we kind of did at the beginning um, but the point that is using and bringing that up is that again we're presenting thoughts that make us think actually that slide was completely out of order um, is that it was presenting thoughts that aren't necessarily true nobody in Christianity is saying we should do nothing um, because God is going to magically wave a wand but they present it in a way that that, that is what we're saying um, so these were some of the slides I said were worth discussing um, from your responses that I was like this should be said um, this one we've already discussed so we won't this is where you guys totally contradicted yourself um, and originally there was no truths and no I don't knows it was unanimously false um, so hats off to the person who said true or the four that did because they also said that there are no moral absolutes um, and so they were consistent but for those of you who said that um, there are no moral absolutes but then said it is still wrong for these two cultures to disagree how like you that's a direct contradiction because in one place you said no the morality is not absolute it's not the exact same but then here when we're saying okay these two cultures disagree you're saying no they're still wrong to kill which shows again this that something has entered in that's not right and that we're, we are already a little bit inconsistent in how we um, deal with uh, deal with things so in conclusion human is not humanism is not a philosophy anymore um, in practice there is such thing as humanistic philosophy um, it is a religion um, and it's a pretty sucky one um, because it doesn't answer the question of self okay it does not answer the question of identity and self-awareness and all of these things that we are aware of humanity wise um, especially when you're making a claim that you are just an animal um, so why are we a unique animal and what does it mean 
um, but they're not answering. So even if they try and use evolution to explain self, which doesn't adequately adequately do it, evolutionarily speaking, um, it doesn't give a right to establish meaning to that awareness. Um, it doesn't answer the question of death. Like, where does that come into play? Um, especially our lack of knowledge of it. It doesn't provide an adequate meaning actually really to anything at all. Um, because all they've said is whatever you feel like, um, which is not an answer. Um, or at least it's not a, an authoritative answer because it doesn't have a basis to it. Um, which is why I'm saying it doesn't serve as an authority. Um, the other problem is that it's man-invented, which is circular, which is contradictory, and they don't realize it. So they get mad at Christians and other theists for being circular by saying, because God exists, therefore this, and everything goes back to God. But they did the same thing, replacing the God with man. So man invented a philosophy, invented a religion, and then validates it by whatever we call our own experience. So again, we need to become a little bit stronger critical thinkers. Uh, therefore, technically speaking, and even when I was considering atheism personally, this wasn't an option for me um, because it fails. It really just as a philosophy, like it, it, it fails. So humanism, in summary, in their own words, is in sum a philosophy for those in love with life. Humanists take responsibility for their own lives and relish the adventure of being part of new discoveries, seeking new knowledge, exploring new options. This should be on National Geographic. Instead of finding solace and prefabricated answers to the great questions of life, humanists enjoy the open-endedness of a quest and freedom of discovery that this entails. Problem is, you're going to die. So it's great that you love your life, okay, but there is a reality that you will die. Um, and so God says, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things which you prepared, whose will they be? He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates this world, uh, and hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And with respect to our relativism, God said, I am the way, not a way, not a truth, or not a life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in conclusion, seek the truth. Because the question is not one of emotions and feelings and logical um, explanations that don't stand for very long, but asking the deeper question of, this is a thought, but what is the truth? And glory be to God forever. Amen.